I hope, I hope you've had an opportunity to accomplish all the work that we had you doing around your table tonight, all the paperwork. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the women's ministry here at Christ Chapel. I'm also part of the women's teaching team that's going to be bringing you the series. And I want to say to those people that are at the imaginary tables in the back of the room that uh, we're very glad you're here. And there are some chairs up front if y'all want to move up. It may be um, hot and dark under there. So please feel free. I know Susan has some chairs and Michelle has some chairs. So move on up if you want to. We're excited to see all of you here this evening, and I appreciate your patience with us. You know, this was our first year to to try pre-registration online, and it was a home run and a strikeout all at once. If if uh, if we got your pre-registration, it was a great home run. If for some reason it's still out there in cyberspace somewhere, uh, we apologize for that. But Regardless of whether we had you pre-registered or not, we're so glad you're here. And we will be getting every, by next week, everyone will be settled in and we'll be, uh, have small group leaders for each and every one of us. You know, there's a ton of estrogen in this room tonight. I was thinking about it (laughs) earlier. And for those of us that don't have estrogen anymore, we're, um, we're here hoping that just hanging out with the rest of y'all will cure our hot flashes. So, uh. That, um, but I will say to those of you that um, don't have hot flashes like I do, you may want to bring a sweater every now and then this room. It's like the temperature in this room has a mind of its own. You know, sometimes it's freezing, sometimes it's not. So come with a sweater if you want to. Seriously, though, we have been praying for this Bible study to begin for all summer long. I have a great committee and all the small group leaders, and we have been praying for each of you. And you know what our prayer has been? Our prayer has been that each of us and each of you would have our hearts and our lives changed as we study the Word of God together because that's truly what does it. You know, we can do all sorts of self-help programs and we can um, go to counseling, which is oftentimes a big help and those kind of things. But the truth is, it is the Word of God that changes our lives and our hearts. So we're glad you're here. For the next 11 weeks, we're going to be talking about a great topic, a topic I am very excited about women and their relationships. And not just any women, but women who encountered the living God and had their lives changed. Women who had the same issues in their lives and the same issues with relationships that every single one of us has in our lives today. These are women that dealt with hardships and heartbreak. They're women that dealt with responsibilities. They're women that dealt with the realities of everyday life. And their lives, even though they lived hundreds of years ago, were just as real and just as challenging as each of us face today. The ten women that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come together are not myths and they're not fairy tale characters. They are authentic, likable gals. In some cases, they were gals that had a lot of responsibility and a lot of influence and a lot of power in their lives. And they're gals who got up every morning just like we got up this morning and tried to figure out what the day was going to bring and what we were going to wear and if we were going to accomplish everything that was on our plate for that day. They also got up every day and tried to figure out what their relationship with God was, who God really was, and what it meant in their life. 
And we're going to start out our journey with these real women who are going to become our friends and our mentors by the time we finish in November. We're going to start our journey with these women by simply looking at biblical truth about women and about relationships. Now, I think most of you would probably agree with me this evening that there are a lot of ideas out there today about who women are, about what our purpose in life should be, about what our goals should be, about what we should look like. There's a lot of ideas out there, aren't there, about what women should look like, what we should think, what we should believe if we are authentic, real women. In fact, I've been interested in um, the interesting turn of events that's happened in the political arena in the last few days because I think it is proof, it's really pointed up in a real way, that our culture is all over the map about what it thinks and believes about women. Everyone wants to define women. Everyone wants to tell us who we should be, what we should work towards. The conservative press wants to define us. The liberal media wants to define us. Hollywood wants to tell us what we should be. And certainly there are a lot of men out there that want to tell us who women should be. I brought a couple of pictures for you tonight that point out our confusion that has been created in the minds and the hearts of women about the very topic we're going to talk about, the topic of real women and real relationships. And these pictures epitomize that women themselves today are tragically deceived about who God has made women to be. And they also point out that if you don't understand who God has made you to be as a woman, what God created you and gifted you for, then your relationships are going to be impacted. Tommy, would you put up that first picture for me? Now, um, these are pictures that you've probably seen on the grocery store aisles. I've seen them every day in the tabloids as I've been waiting at Tom Thumb to pay. They're not anything shocking. But this first picture is a picture of two women celebrities that were recently legally married, I believe, in the state of California. It's a picture of them in their wedding clothes. I think they were just going going to or coming from whatever wedding legal ceremony they had. And I want to tell you all tonight, I'm not judging these gals or making fun of them. That wasn't the reason I brought the picture. The truth is, um, I mean, I, I probably would guess these gals are not believers. But other than that, I don't know anything about them. They may be perfectly fun, delightful gals. But the truth is, I believe they're confused. And it makes me very, very sad when I think about the state of confusion they're in and what choices their confusion have led them to make and how that affects their relationship. In fact, I read a quote by one of their mothers after this marriage ceremony, and she said she was so excited because she finally got to be a mother-in-law. Now, it didn't say whether she thought she had a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law. I couldn't figure out exactly what she thought her mother-in-law relationship was going to be, but it made me sad because I thought, this has even confused her. She doesn't even know now what her relationship is supposed to be as a woman who has planned all of her life to have a mother-in-law relationship with someone. It has confused her. This picture is a sad statement about gender confusion in our world today and the relationships that result when we stray from God's truth. 
I don't know how many of you out there today are mothers, but um, if you are mothers and you have young girls, when our young girls grow up not knowing how far a legal wedding between two women is from God's truth, we only step further into the high weeds of confusion and deception when it comes to women. And the other picture that I brought takes us out into those high weeds. Tommy, if you'll put up the next picture. I think you've probably seen this. This is the picture supposedly of the pregnant man and his wife. And this picture is a great example um, of a couple uh, of women that are deceived. Now, these two do truly depict the depth of deception that's being sold to women today as choice or as as the world's truth. In fact, the world's deception is so great that when I tried to decide how I was going to explain this relationship to you, I almost needed a spreadsheet or something. I started beginning trying to explain it, and, of course, the pregnant man is really a woman who has altered her appearance to appear to be a man, to get a driver's license that says she's a man, to deceive another woman into marrying her as if she is a man, um, and every, having everyone around her treat her like a man. Now, unfortunately, when she and this other woman wanted to have a baby, it didn't help that she was a man, so she had to rely on her female reproductive organs because she is a woman in every sense of the word. And so then she got pregnant by the sperm of a, a donor sperm, I believe, another man, so that the woman who is supposedly her wife could uh, live with her and call her daddy to the baby that's going to actually have two women that one of them is calls himself the father. I mean, I can't even sort it out when I start trying to the confusion. The confusion is so great. Our world is confused about women and confused about their relationships. Tommy, you can take that off. We don't need to look at it for the rest of the night. It's amazing, isn't it, how far we've gone into not understanding who women are. But the truth is there's good news for us tonight. We don't have to be confused. We can explain real women and real relationships, not by our culture, not by other women who don't know who they are, not by Hollywood, but we can explain real women and real relationships by the truth of God's word. And that's exactly what we're all going to do together in our small groups with our homework and with our discussion time for the next 10 weeks. You've got a great opportunity to look at the scriptures and talk about real, authentic women and real, authentic relationships. The scriptures are very clear about who women are and what the foundation is for our relationships. So let's start with a great piece of truth. You should all have outlines and verses on your table. If you didn't get them, you may want to pass them out. So you've got an outline and a verse sheet to look at. We're going to start with a great piece of truth on your outline there, and that is truth that is timeless, truth that applies to women of all generation. And that truth is real women, authentic women, are God's idea. And that's a shocking statement to most of the world. You know, I think most of the world thinks that women are the world's idea, but that's not true. We cannot morph ourselves into whoever we want to. It doesn't matter if we wear men's clothing. We are never going to be men. We are not the invention of the culture or even the invention of our co-creation man. The scriptures teach us 
that God in his mighty power and in his great, great wisdom has intentionally and purposefully created women. We're not a genetic mistake and we are not a cosmic accident. Genesis 2.21 on your verse sheet. We're going to skip around a little bit. You can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, but I made it simple for us tonight since we're going to skip around a little bit. So on your verse sheet, Genesis 2.20 says... So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. You know, who we are as women is really not the result of evolution, which is another deception that you will see out there. Because if it was, every one of us in the room tonight that is a mom, all of us, if we were the result of evolution, we would all have three hands and eyes in the back of our heads. And that is the truth. Because if we needed to evolve as mothers, that's what it really takes. Women are not an afterthought by God after he had created everything else. Clearly in Genesis, we see that everything that we are as women, our two X chromosomes that are in every single cell of our body, including a shaft of hair. If someone finds a shaft of hair and analyzes the chromosomes in it, they can tell whether it was man's hair or woman's hair. Every cell of our body identifies us as women. We're also, uh, as women, we have sensitive temperaments. How our bodies look and how our bodies work as women are the work of an intentional God. Nothing about us as women is random or accidental. Every bit of it was the intentional purpose of a sovereign God. I love the Psalms, and Psalm 95, talks. the psalmist talks about God as an intentional and sovereign creator. And it says this, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry, dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God is a purposeful and intentional creator. And knowing that, knowing that women are God's purposeful and intentional creation should give every one of us great confidence and great courage in who we are. Now notice I said confidence and courage, not pride and arrogance. Confidence and courage to no longer make any excuses for our sensitive hearts. We do not, as women ladies, ever have to make excuses for our crazy hormones. But what our bodies do when we go through puberty or pregnancy or menopause. I don't always agree with um, Hillary, Hillary Clinton, but a few months ago I saw something which uh, really irritated me that the media did to Hillary Clinton. She, you may have seen this. She was, and I don't even remember what she was speaking about, but she was in the middle of, of speaking about something, and in the middle of it, she kind of teared up a little bit and got a little bit choked up, and then she went on. And I mean, she didn't sob or cry or, you know, have to leave the room or anything. She just got teared up for a minute, and then she went on speaking. Well, um, the media. All sides of the media made a huge deal out of it. You know, some of them went on and on about, oh, can a woman be president if she has emotions, you know, like 
Men don't have emotions ever. I mean, I thought, what is that about? And then um, the other side made that huge deal out of, well, maybe she's faking it. Maybe she was just trying to act like a woman and get votes. And, you know, and I just thought, give me a break. She is a woman. And that's all she did was she responded to whatever she was talking about with a woman's heart. Hillary Clinton should not have to make excuses for being a woman, and neither should any of us in this room. We should never, ever make excuses for being God's glorious creation, for what he intended us to be, because we are God's idea. And, you know, being part of God's idea, his intentional and purposeful creation, means that we have something I love. We have inherent value. Inherent value. Women are valuable. We are valuable as individuals. Each and every one of this in, of us in the room is valuable. And we are valuable as a gender. But we're not valuable because of how we look. We're not valuable because of where we live. We're not valuable because we're the gender that can bear children. Women are valuable because we are created in the image of the living God. Genesis 1.27 tells us that truth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. God imparted his image, the essence of all that God is. He imparted his life and his love and his personality and his truth and his wisdom and his justice, all of those things that God is. He imparted only to his human creations. He didn't impart it to the animals, but he imparted it to us, male and female. Now, when you read this, it's important to note that male and female equally are created in the image of God. It means that neither one of us is more important than the other. Neither men nor women are created more in the image of God. Um, We're different, and we have different roles. If you read through the creation scriptures, we'll flesh that out a little bit further when we reach the fall campaign as a church. We're going to be talking about biblical manhood and biblical uh, uh, womanhood and the different roles that God has given men and women. But we are equally created in the image of God. We can also know our value as women when we look at salvation because... God himself died for our sins. Salvation is not gender-specific. The blood of Christ is offered freely and equally to women as it is to our co-creation man. And anyone that still has a doubt about women are valuable, they don't believe we're created in the image of God, or that salvation is a measure of our value as women, they can look at what God himself says about his own creative genius. God himself evaluates what he's done and when he's created women in Genesis 1.31, where he says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Everyone who understands that women are created in God's image and have inherent value as women because of that, I think have a responsibility, an important responsibility, and that is a responsibility to stand up for yourself as women and for women everywhere. Now, we don't stand up for women for the sake of money or power or to compete with um, our co-creation man, but we stand up for women for the sake of honoring God and his image, and his holy name. And what it means to stand up for women is means that we need to fight against anything that devalues women because things that devalue women 
also devalue the holy image of God that we're created in. A couple of things I can think of. One of them is pornography. I cannot think of anything that devalues women more than pornography. And every bit of pornography devalues the image of the living God. We should also fight about around the world there is um, a huge sex slave trade that women are captured in all the time. That devalues the image of the living God. Some of the other things that are a little closer to home that devalue the image of the living God because they devalue women is advertising. You know, I just went to a seminar that talked about 98% of all products are sold by women because sex sells products. So we need to fight against advertising that um, devalues women and the image of God. You know, the other thing that devalues women frequently is fashion. We buy into fashions that are um, trendy, but not necessarily appropriate. And when we do that as women, when we don't stand up for that, uh, we are devaluing the image of the living God. Our women's ministries had the privilege of taking um, several trips around the world in the last few years to teach women, most recently to Africa. And I loved a lot of things about those trips. I loved going and uh, meeting other women from other cultures that loved Christ every bit as much as I did and getting to know them. But one of the things I loved most about the trips is the appropriate value it gave to women, the women that we went to teach in different parts of the world. The leadership of Christ Chapel, our elder board and our pastoral staff understood that the African women that we went to teach were image bearers of the living God. And they sent our women to encourage and value these women simply because women have inherent value. Now, even though men and women are both created in the image of God, without a doubt, we are very, very different. I don't think there's anyone in the room today that would dispute the fact that men and women are different even though we're all created in the image of God. And that leads us to the next truth in correcting the confusion and deception that exists in the world today. And the next truth is women are unique. It's not just that we have decided to dress differently than men or wear our hair differently than men. I don't know whether you noticed in that celebrity wedding picture that even though they were making a statement that two women um, had the right to be legally married, their dress seemed to say one of us was masculine. I don't know whether you noticed one of them was dressed in a traditional wedding type dress. The other one was dressed in pants. So that's kind of confusing. One was dressing like a man even though the statement they were making was it's okay for two women to be married. But anyway, the point is God has created women to be uniquely women and not um, simply dress different than our co-creation man. And we have a unique role in God's creation. We learn what that role is in Genesis 2:18, where it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, God is a perfect God. He does not make mistakes. Um, in this creation passage that we have been looking at, when God first formed man his first human creation, um, it wasn't that that was his only plan and then he looked around and thought, oh my gosh, I need to do something here. I didn't quite get it right. Maybe I should give this guy um, a helper. No, he always had a plan to create men and to create women and to make women and men in unique and specific roles. Woman was created to fulfill a unique role and that was to be a suitable helper to God's other human creation. 
Now the Hebrew word here that's translated in our English Bibles, either as helper or help meet, um, sometimes is a sticking point for women when they're trying to discern what their roles and purposes are in life because they take that that word to mean something demeaning, to mean some uh, for some women it has a negative connotation that means servant or second-class citizen or just the assistant with a room down the hall maybe. That's not what this word means in Hebrew. In fact, it really means to aid or um, several forms of the word mean to protect or to surround. And the other places that it's used in the scriptures, it's used to describe God himself. God uses it as a descriptive term for himself, which is interesting because we're created in the image of God, and so that part of God, which is a nurturer, uh, a helper, a protector, and uh, coming to someone's aid with compassion, he has given that part of his image to women purposefully to create a unique role. An example of that is Psalm 33. We see this exact same word used for women in Genesis 1 is used in Psalm 33 for God himself. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Exact same descriptive Hebrew word. Now, part of the confusion that exists in the world today about who women are and how they do relationships comes from overlooking the fact that women were created as unique beings to complete his perfect design plan. Because when you look at women that way and you think, okay, you were created uniquely for a specific purpose that God had in mind, When we do that, then we understand that it's not surprising that women love relationships because we were created uniquely to be part of a relationship. It's not uh, surprising that if we were created uh, with the design to be an aid or a help or a protector uh, in a relationship that we would have compassionate, nurturing natures because that's going to be an important part of being that in a relationship. Uh, coming alongside other, uh, coming alongside men to be an aid and a help and a uh, uh, help meet for them. We have unique gifts as women, and our uniqueness fulfills God's perfect plans. Now, our job in the midst of this confused world is to use our uniqueness, not to hide it or to change it or to be mad at it or to say that's not really what I wanted to be, God, but to use our uniqueness as women to continue to work out God's plans in our life to complement the men that are co-creation. And we were not created to complement men so that we could overpower them or we could compete with them or we could make them look stupid. Like, I don't know whether uh, most of the commercials I saw, the men's ministry was using commercials as clips this morning, to yesterday morning, to set up their Bible study. And it was all clips of commercials that make men look stupid. Um, it, was, it was interesting, but advertising uses women as sexist relationships and they use men to make them uh, look less than... And leaders is very interesting. That's not why God created us uniquely and put us in relationships with men. We were created to be their uniquely gifted counterparts, and we should really all make an attempt to thrive and grow in that world. Now, it doesn't make any difference whether I know the Genesis passage is talking about the first marriage relationship, but when you extrapolate who God women who God made women to be into all the relationships that we have with men, all of us have relationships with men in some form or fashion, in other ways in our families, in our work world, as our neighbors, and our responsibility is to be their unique counterparts. No matter what kind of appropriate relationship we have with a man, we are to be um, 
uh, an aid, an help, an encourager, even protecting. We are never called to be a thorn in their side. We are called to be their unique complement, their counterpart. Now, the final truth that helps us overcome the confusion that exists in the world about women is that women have an important purpose in the kingdom. Women are God's idea, and it was an idea that God intended to use. It wasn't an idea that he thought, hmm, what am I going to do with that now? When he created women, he had an intent and purpose to use her in the kingdom. Genesis 1.28 says this, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now God gives this to men and women equally. He's just in Genesis 1.27 that we read just a moment ago. Created man in his image, male and female. And then he gives both men and both women a purpose. And it's the exact same purpose. He tells us that our purpose as men and as women are going to be to rule and subdue and to produce in the world he has placed us in. Men and women are given their purpose together, and they're both meant to take this purpose seriously. God has not intentionally created women and given us inherent value and given us unique gifts and then tossed us aside so he can use men to carry out all the important work in the kingdom. Women are God's idea, and we have a purpose. Each of you has an important purpose in the kingdom of God. In fact, in the next 10 weeks, we're going to be studying some of the women that God used for these important purposes. We're going to be looking at Rebecca, who left her home and her family to become Isaac's chosen wife, who was the son of the promise. We're going to be looking at Jochebed and Miriam, the women who stepped in to save baby Moses so that he could later on become the deliverer of Israel. Where would Moses have been without these two women that stepped up to the plate for God's unique and important purpose in their life? Deborah, an amazing woman who was the leader of the entire nation of Israel and one of Israel's most famous judges, Deborah had an important purpose in God's kingdom, and she took hold of it and lived it out. There are many other women. There are seven other women we're going to be looking at, or rather six others, I believe. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see real women fulfilling God's important purposes for them in the kingdom. And these women are our spiritual heritage. So when we begin to think, what in the world has God used us for? And how could we, as one woman, be of use in the kingdom? We can look at these women who are our spiritual heritage and know that it's true. God has made us for an important purpose in his kingdom. Now, along with knowing the truth of who we really are as women, I want to talk just a minute before we close about another important truth. The truth that as women, real relationships or authentic relationships are going to be part of the package, ladies. It's one of the important purposes that God has created us for because we are not going to rule or subdue or produce in a vacuum. If we carry out God's purpose for us to rule, subdue, and produce... It's going to be in relationship with other people. We're going to be surrounded by people that we have a responsibility to have godly relationships with. 
And it's actually going to be relationships that are going to be the focus as we look at those ten women that I was just talking to you about. You know, those women we're going to talk about that I mentioned have all sorts of relationships that we're going to learn from. Some of them are wives and some of them are mothers. We're going to look at those relationships. Some of them are sisters. We're going to look at sibling relationships. Um, Some of them had relationships with people in the community that they didn't even know, but they stepped out to make that relationship. And we're going to look at those relationships. We're also going to look at the relationships of those gals that were leaders. How did they relate to the people that they were involved in leading? As women, we need not be surprised by the fact that relationships are part of the package for us because our God is a relational God. From the opening pages of scriptures, it is very, very easy to see God's relational attributes and God's relational focus. He is perfectly relational if we look at him within the context of the Trinity. One God, three persons, perfect relationship with each other. Now, we don't have time to go into the theology of the Trinity tonight, but I do want to point out to you that even in the creation passage, we see evidence of God and the relationship he has in the Trinity. Genesis 1:26 on your verse sheet says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our image, in our likeness. You see, he's referring when he says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He's referring to himself as the Trinity in the relationship that he has in the three persons of the Trinity. God is a relational God. And relationship is actually his focus throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture. In the Old Testament, he is relational with the patriarchs. Abraham and Moses, God calls them his friends. He's relational as the incarnate Christ who humbles himself and he becomes a man who walks on this earth, who has a family that he loves very, very much. Even from the cross, he looks down at his mother and provides for her. Jesus was relational. He drew 12 men together to walk with him for three years to be relational with them, to develop deep bonds so that they could learn from him. He was relational with everyone he met, whether they were sick, whether they were sinners, whether they were outcasts. Our God is a relational God. In fact, our story of salvation that is on every single page of your Bible is actually the story of God's plan to restore our relationship with him through the blood of Christ. It's an incredible story of God paying the ultimate price for a relationship with each one of us. So as his image bears, imperfect though we are, marred by sin and living in a fallen world, we have a great responsibility to be relational also, to have a relationship with God himself and with those that we're going to live out his purposes for us with. Jesus talks about our relational responsibilities in just one great verse that really kind of sets it all up for us as far as relationships go. Matthew 22, verse 37 on your verse sheet. It's split into two parts there. And it says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. As God's image bearers, we can only take our responsibility to be as relational as he is seriously and to reflect who God is accurately when we ourselves know God. 
If we're his image bearers and yet we don't have a clue as to who he is, we are never going to be able to reflect his relationship, um, his image in our relationships. Um, When we put him as our first love and our first priority when it comes to relationships, everything works out for the best. When we know who God is, when we pursue knowing him better and better and better, then we can have relationships that reflect him and reflect his love. And, you know, Moses says just that, just the fact that if we pursue God over and over and over again, then our relationships are going to reflect his love in Deuteronomy 10 on your verse sheet. Where he's talking to, this is Moses talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the aliens. Um, giving him food and clothing, and you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourself were aliens in Egypt. We can only love as he loves when we know and understand his great love for us. Moses says to them in this passage, you were aliens once, and what did God do for you? He loved you. And when you understand that, when you understand how God loves you, then you can love exactly as he did. You can love aliens because God once loved you. In the 13th century, there was this bizarre experiment that was carried out by a man named Emperor Frederick who ruled the Roman Empire. For some reason, Emperor Frederick developed this desire to know what man's original language was. And in Emperor Frederick's world, they um, actually, I think, spoke three languages back then, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And he wanted to know which one was the very first original language. So he went about deciding to do that in an odd way. He decided to take um, some infants from their mothers at birth before they had heard one spoken word and to isolate them from all spoken language. They would never hear the sound of a human voice. And so he reasoned that when they did eventually speak, aha, we'll know what the original language is because it will just come naturally out of their mouth. Yeah, Ashley's laughing. That's that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So um, anyway, so he found wet nurses that were willing to go along with this plan, and I'm sure under threat of death probably since he was the emperor. And so they cared for these infants, and they obeyed him. They never spoke one word to those infants. So what do you think happened? He never found out the answer to his question because within several months, every infant was dead. Each of us, including these infants, were created for right relationships, not the wrong relationship that this Emperor Frederick was trying to uh, create in his experiment, but we were all created to have right relationships, first with God and then with others. And so as we close today, I want to challenge each of you not only to go home this week and do your homework and come back next week ready to really interact with your small group about your questions and to to discover truth that you're all going to share together about our first gal that we're going to study, Rebecca. I want to challenge you to do that. But I also want to challenge you as we begin this study about real women and real relationships to really go before God this week and to... um, pray about and and think on what does it mean uh, 
to understand the truth that real women are God's idea. What does that mean to you to understand that truth? And then what does it mean to understand that real, authentic relationship are part of God's plan for us as his image bearers? Pray about that and think about this week before we begin our study on real women and real relationships. So pray with me. Father, you are gracious and good, and we just um, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We live in a great nation with the freedom to come together as women and to bring our Bibles and to know you. And Father, I pray that that would be a responsibility that we do not take lightly. And I just ask you for all of us in this room that you would speak to our hearts as we uh, pursue you, as we discover who we are as women, not who the world tells us that we should be, but who you tell us we should be. And, Lord, I pray that you you would give us truth and that our lives and our hearts would be changed. Father, I ask you for grace and mercy for all of us in this room and for great blessings. And I pray that as women, um, you would be our first love and that all that we do would honor you and praise you. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks, ladies. We'll see you next week.